church's website. You register, you use our Chapel 24 code, another code here, um, and that will take $100 off of the price so that you can get your kids to camp. You will want to register on December 3rd because those two weeks are going to fill up and fill up fast. And so mark your calendar, set a reminder in your phone, um, get online and register that morning so that you can uh, be a part and get your kids to camp. We'll also be sponsoring some students to go to middle school and high school camp. We'll give you that information uh, in the near future. But this one, the registration date is coming up and coming up quick. All right? Lots of, lots, lots of good stuff. It is so um, awesome to get to continue our series that we started really months ago in the wisdom literature. And uh, the wisdom literature is all this rich literature included in the Bible. Uh, We looked at mostly the book of Proverbs for about six, seven weeks. We kind of walked through what are sometimes known as the seven deadly sins. And last week at baptism services, and we looked at Psalm 121. The book of Psalms is wisdom literature. And today... We move from Proverbs and Psalms to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're, we're going to try to take um, an overview of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. That's a lot to get through, so um, just take your right hand, just go like this, and go like this, make a click sound. Now you're buckled in. See, I got you there. We're, we, we got a lot to go through, all right? Book of, uh, book of, book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, who also wrote most of the Proverbs, uh, Solomon was known as one of the richest men that ever lived. He was known as uh, one of the wisest men that ever lived. I mean, Solomon was a guy that seemingly lived life to the full and had it all, which makes the way that he opens this book all the more perhaps confusing and surprising. This is what he writes in Ecclesiastes Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. This is going to be a real fun morning. (laughs) Like, literally, that's the way you start your book? Meaningless? Everything is meaningless? So it's got to get better, right? Um, Tell me it's going to get better. Uh, Let's read on. Verses 3 and following. Uh, What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. This is really encouraging. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and it flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome, beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. (laughs) Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in the future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. So let's just go home. <laughs> like, man. And, and, and 
we might be tempted to be like, okay, is he using hyperbole, exaggeration to make a point? Or, or was Solomon just, you know, he was having a moment, just a, a rough day, and it was just kind of one of those downers of a day. You, we've all, and it'd be easy to start to be like, come on, Solomon, jeez. And yet all of us in the room, we've, had, we've had our own sets of meaningless moments, haven't we? You think about it. In relationships, maybe, man, you, you just... And you chased after her, you pursued her, you, you made her num- your number one. You, I mean, you left all your friends for her. You, you, you thought she was the, the one, and then you get moved into the friend zone, and it's not you, it's me. And, like, and you're, like, you're like, what was the point? Or you've been married and, and for several years, and you, man, you, you, you sacrifice much, and you tr- you've provided for your family, and you've been a team, and you, and you thought everything was going, going good. And then you find out they're cheating on you, or, or they move out, and, and they, you get divorce papers in the mail. And you're left thinking, what's the point? Meaningless. Or you, you throw yourself into your work, and man, you, you know, you just chase after it and work hard and and you show you get there early you stay late <laughs> and then and then when when the promotion is up it's like you're just you're, you're like nothing you're a number and you feel like meaningless it's all just so meaningless or or you know you invest in your kids you work so hard to provide Care, care for them, give a loving environment, and, and you provide for them. You, you're working extra to give them everything that you wish that you had as a child. And then they just, they just go off course. And you're like, what in the heck happened? Or, or, or worse yet, they're, they're rebelling against you. Or worse yet, they're, they're, they've gotten wrapped into the drug world, and they're living a, an addict's life, and and you work so hard to raise a family, and you're like, what was all that work for? Meaningless. Pointless. Well, Solomon, he continues in his book, and this theme, this meaningless theme, it's really the theme of the entire book. In fact, if we were to read, if we had time to read it all, there's ten different categories of life that he talks about that he feels like are meaningless. And I just want us to look at three main categories. All right, wisdom. First of all, Solomon begins his book by saying, "Wisdom is meaningless." What's the name of our series? Wisdom literature. So it's again. Let's just go home. Like. This is what he writes. He says, I, the teacher, I was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and explore by wisdom everything done under the heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. He says, what's wrong cannot be made right. What's missing cannot be recovered. He goes on. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have 
greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. And that was true. And, and he wasn't being prideful or boasting. He, he asked God for the greatest gift, the gift of wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. He was known as the wisest man that ever lived. He says, so I set out to learn everything from wisdom and madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. Wisdom is meaningless, he says. And then every, every college student's favorite verse, the greater the wisdom, the greater the grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. <laughs> and some of us have made our life about knowledge and wisdom and, and education and learning more. And, and yet it, sometimes it can feel like even the, the, the greatest of wisdom doesn't work. And we feel like Solomon, who said wisdom is meaningless. I think the key here in understanding this is what he says, what he said in verse 14. He says, I observed everything going on under the sun. That's a key phrase that helps us realize why he felt as he observed all of life, even wisdom and all the rest of the categories that we'll look at. We're meaningless. Scott questions says, Solomon is sharing an earthbound perspective. He's only considering life under the sun. That is, a human life lived to the exclusion of any consideration of God. That the godless perspective, everything is indeed meaningless. In, a, in other words, Solomon's looking at life, he's looking how probably it points he was living without God and how so many people were living without God and yet, you know, they seem to have it all, but it really felt meaningless. Not only does he say wisdom is meaningless, he also said pleasure is meaningless. Look what he writes. Uh, this is chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Solomon says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Have you ever been in one of those moments you're like, you know what, I'm done making everybody first. I'm done serving everybody else. I, you know what, when do I get my chance? When do I get to do something that makes me happy? Let's try pleasure. And th this is the point Solomon comes to. He says, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. Isn't that what our world and our culture says? Just look for the good and just grab a hold of that, chase after that, make Make pleasure your all. <laughs> but look at what he says. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? And then he goes on in the next verses of this chapter to describe how hard he worked and all the stuff that he gained, all the things that he had. Uh, so, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Look at this. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. And, and Solomon could say that, and Solomon could do that because he had all the resources he needed to have whatever he wanted to bring him pleasure. Whether it was gold, he could have more gold. Whether it was servants, he could get more servants. Whether it was women, he could have the women. Whether it was the finest of wine and drink and food, he could have it. Anything that the world would say, 
is a pleasure of this life, Solomon says, I denied myself nothing. He, he lived like the ultimate hedonist. He says, I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. In verse 11, look at it. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Solomon says, you can chase after pleasure and have all the pleasures, but if you don't have God, it will be empty. It will be meaningless. Now, some of us, we haven't lived like the ultimate hedonist, and we didn't have enough money to get us all the pleasures that we wanted, right? And some of us, it hasn't been our pursuit to, to just get degree after degree, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, knowledge and wisdom is a good thing when, when we have a right relationship with God that, that helps us put everything else in its rightful place. But for many of us in the room, I mean, if, if we can't have it all, we'll at least try. Like, we'll work. And we'll just throw ourselves into our work, whether that's at the office or whether that's on the farm or whether that's uh, in, the, in the factory. And we, we throw ourselves into work. And look at what Solomon said. He said, I came to hate all of my hard work here on earth. Some of you are like, amen. <laughs> he says, for I must leave to others everything that I've earned. So he was, he was looking at, again, that temporal life status. He says, and who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish, yet they will control everything I've gained by my skill and my hard work under the sun. How meaningless. And so he says, so I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all of my hard work in this world. Some of you, you work so hard and you feel like to gain what? He goes on. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, they, they, and they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all of their hard work and anxiety? That's a great question, isn't it? And Solomon's like, all right, you tell me. What, is, what are we going to get for all of this? Verse 23, he says, Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief, and even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. Wow. And I bet there's, there's moms, there's dads, there's businessmen in the room, businesswomen. And man, you've been working so hard, but you can never turn it off. You, you could punch out or log out, but you got no rest because like, you're worried about work even when you're not working and you're thinking about things that, you know, will I make the deadline? And man, will we, will we get the numbers that we, you know, that they're putting the pressure on me to get? Or, and it feels like this too is meaningless. Thankfully, Solomon makes some other conclusions in his book that, that might help us gain a little meaning in the meaninglessness of some of these things. Look at what he says in chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. What do people really get for all their hard work? Again, he 
I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. Look at this. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. We're going to come back to this in a minute. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So he says, I concluded there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. For these, he says, are gifts from God. You know, some people's life verses eat, drink, and be merry, right? But Solomon says the key to enjoying the eating, the drinking, and the being merry, what will make you merry is when we realize that they are gifts from God. You see, that's our bottom line truth this weekend. God brings the meaning to the meaningless. God brings the meaning to the meaningless. It's to say that once we have a right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we can now discover meaning in the meaningless. We can start to enjoy, perhaps, work. That we can even start to find real lasting pleasure in the temporary pleasures of life. That we'll see things from his perspective. Remember what he said in verse 11, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. To realize that there's a timeliness to things and so that we capture and can enjoy the beauty of those things, those moments, but realizing the entire time that they are just that, moments. That's why he says in verse 11, he's planted eternity in the human heart. What this verse is saying is that there's I know it's overused, but there's this God-shaped hole inside of all of us. And we might try to fill it with work and wisdom and wealth and pleasure. But there's only one thing that will fill it, and it's God himself. And it's not until we come into a relationship with Jesus that, that the meaninglessness of life will start to make some sort of sense. God brings the meaning to the meaningless. So he makes some other conclusions. For instance, in, in chapter 2, verse 24, he says, I decide there's nothing better to enjoy food and drink, find satisfaction in work. Oh, so now there's satisfaction in work. See how, I mean, it's like Solomon's wrestling with the realities here. Verse 25, for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. You see, God brings the meaning to the meaningless. And that brings us to the very last two verses of the last chapter of this entire book. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Let's look at what Solomon has to say. He says, that's the whole story. Like, hey guys, I've shared it all. I've lived it all. I've seen it all. I've had it all. And now he says, here's the whole story. Here's my final conclusion. Like, of all the things that I've seen and experienced and witnessed and lived, here's the conclusion of all conclusions. He's saying, listen up. And what is his conclusion of all conclusions? He says, it begins with fearing God. Fearing God. I love Pastor Jay's definition of fearing God. I don't know if it was original with him, but he's the one that says it, and I remember it. It's to take God and his word seriously. 
To fear God is to take God and his word seriously. And that leads to what he says in the rest of the passage, because then we obey his commandments and we realize this is our duty. And we realize in verse 14 that God will judge us for everything that we do, including every secret thing, good or bad. We learn to fear God. I love the way that Derek Kidner puts it as well. He says, fear God is a call that puts us in our place and all other fears, hopes, and admirations in their place. When we fear God and put our faith in the God that loved us and sent his son Jesus for us, we'll see him for who he is, and we will start to gain an eternal perspective, which will bring meaning to the meaningless. And Solomon says this is the conclusion of the matter. It's fear God, but not just fear God, obey his commandments. And, and man, I tell you what, so many people that I bump into and when, when I tell them I'm a pastor and then they start telling me horror stories of the, their church background and upbringing. And, 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 and there's people that are like, um, oh, one of those Christians and it's just all about the rules. And, it's, and so that, like, they would read this and be like, fear God and obey his commandments. Oh, great. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. And is it, is it just like a God that's up there ready to smite us for when we blow it? Like, and you better toe the line and you better keep the rules. And if you don't, you better watch out. And yet when you, when you realize that, that God sent his one and only son into the world to obey the rules for us, to, to fulfill the law on our behalf, to do something for us that we could never do perfectly for ourselves. That gives us a, a whole new perspective of the God of the universe and the God of the Bible. It, it gains us a whole new perspective, even of his laws, his rules, realizing they're, they're not there to punish us or to limit us. They're there to, to guide us and actually to set us free, to obey his commands. And, and actually, you know, we could look and go, man, so does that mean like follow all these rules in the, in the whole Old Testament? And I love Jesus because Jesus just simplified everything. In fact, here's what he said in John 1, uh, John, 1 John 3, 23. If, you, if we want to know what, what ob, ob, obedience looks like, what is the, the number one command we are to obey? He said, we must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Jesus says, listen, you want to obey me fully? It's really simple. It's two things. Believe in Jesus, believe in me, Jesus, and then love one another. Because when we, when we believe in Jesus, not just like with mental assent, but entrust our lives to him and realize that when he died on the cross and was buried in a tomb and rose from the grave, that he did that for us, that he did that because we needed him to die for us because we couldn't obey the rules. And so Jesus provides forgiveness through his death on the cross and he provides new life and hope through his resurrection so that we can, we can live meaningful lives. It's God that brings the meaning to the meaningless. And, and at, at the end of the 
the verse in verse 13, he says, for this is everyone's duty. And that sounds very churchy and religious, doesn't it? It's really kind of a poor translation because duty says like, I got to do. And the word here in the original Hebrew language, is, you know what it says? It doesn't say duty. Here's what it says. For this is the all of man. Solomon's saying, hey, I'm going to bring you to the, the conclusion of all conclusions. And that conclusion is this. Fear God. Like, live in right relationship with God. Live, live obedient. Like, follow his ways because his ways lead to life. And he says, this isn't your duty. This is, this is, this is everything. This is the all of your life. It's what you, you and I, what we were created for. And that's when we'll discover meaning in the meaningless. So I want to close with two important questions. Number one, what do I tend to try to find my meaning and purpose and worth within? I mean, chances are, even if you're a follower of Jesus, you slip back into patterns where we look for our meaning and our purpose in our work, in our pleasures, in our wisdom, in our family, in our relationships. And all those things have the possibility of letting us down or running empty. Some of us, we need, we need to repent of, of trying to find our meaning and purpose in, in, in a bunch of things instead of finding it in the one thing in a relationship with Jesus. Uh, and number two, how might my relationship with God bring meaning to those things? You guys see, like when it comes to wisdom, um, if life is just temporary and this is going to be it, then no matter how many degrees we get or how smart we think we become or how much knowledge or wisdom... That, that wisdom without a relationship with Jesus, it's, it's not going to rescue us from eternity. But, but with a relationship with Jesus, man, his wisdom, I mean, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. And we can be world changers. <laughs> and, and when it comes to, you know, our relationships, if we're looking for meaning and purpose in, in, in our kids or in our spouse, and sometimes that it will be there but sometimes it'll, well, it'll be empty. But if we find our meaning and purpose in our relationship with Jesus, then we'll have what we need to contribute to the relationship even when it's running on empty. And when it comes to our work, man, our work world, our work life, it can feel meaningless, it can feel purposeless, but when we have a right relationship with Jesus, we realize that the point of our work is more than a paycheck or a promotion that we're there as, as God's agent of light and change and hope and that we have a mission with those that we work with to represent Jesus to others. And now our work suddenly has purpose beyond our work. God brings the meaning to the meaningless. So it begs the question, do I have a relationship with God? Because that's, that's the game changer. <laughs> that's where we discover real meaning and purpose. Would you pray with me?
Lord, for anybody that's here this weekend in the room that really doesn't know you, maybe, and maybe they've, they have truly felt like, what is the point of all this? Maybe they've even felt like, what's the point of even church? God, I pray that you would give them courage to admit where they've looked for meaning and purpose and it's turned up empty. And I pray that they would take a risk, a chance, and turn to you and say, Jesus, forgive me. Please come into my life. Show me real meaning, real purpose. And God, for the rest of us in the room that have given our lives to Christ, would you help us to continue to have that eternal perspective that Meg was talking about? God, to, to put everything in its rightful place so that we might find meaning in the meaningless. To that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Have a great rest of your weekend.